Next Chapter Podcasts. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. My baby likes butter popcorn. Skiba Diva. Diva Fleba. Butter popcorn, yeah, butter popcorn, butter popcorn. That might be the most sexually suggestive song about popcorn ever written. Is there another one? I don't think so. But it's called Buttered Popcorn. It's by Diana Ross and the Supremes, and it's off of their 2001 Greatest Hits album, Anthology. It's also number 423 out of 500 on the Spotify Ridge, the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, you true dukes? Welcome to your weekly shift in the fleece army. Is anybody wearing fleece out there? It's getting hot. That's the worst part about summer. My fleece consumption goes down to a bare minimum. I sneak some in, not all the time. So thank you guys for joining me once again on the only podcast that's going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. And we are at, what are we at? 423. Holy shit. What if, like, we never get out of the apocalypse? And that was it. That's all I had to say. What if we never get out of the apocalypse? (laughs) I hope everybody out there, if you're quarantining, if you are sick, whatever it is, if you're financially strapped, I really, really hope you guys are doing okay. I hope you guys are are eating. I hope you aren't struggling out there. And I hope this podcast is cheering you up just a little bit if you are down. Because making it is like, it's the only thing that's keeping me going. That and lekker, dog. All right, let's dive into this record because it was a wang zuki. They give us 50 tracks. I always feel weird when it's the greatest hits. But sometimes it's just... And I feel like today it was just. So here's the deal. This is the career retrospective greatest hits from the Motown Records all-female pop, soul, and R&B group, The Supremes. And this was originally released in 1974. But we're going to be reviewing the 2001 version, which is the one that Rolling Stone chose. We're not doing every song. We can't. That would be insane. The podcast would be four hours long. But we're going to highlight the highlights of their career. And what a career it was. In 1958, a Detroit, Michigan junior high student named Florence Ballard met two young men from a local vocal group called The Primes. That's really hard to say. Local vocal group. One of their girlfriends also sang, so The Primes manager asked Florence to help put together a sister act called The Primettes. Florence asked her best friend, Mary Wilson, and Mary asked her school friend, Diana 
Ross. The four girls spent a couple years singing popular hits around the Detroit area and built some success. They decided they wanted to make a record with a newer local label called Dun 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 Motown Records. Diana asked her old neighbor, Smokey Robinson, to get them in an audition with the label head, Barry Gordy. Barry liked them, but thought they were too young and inexperienced. The girls still stopped by the Motown studios known as Hitsville USA every day after school and even convinced Gordy to let them contribute backup vocals and hand claps to several recordings with Motown's house band, The Funk Brothers. That's a great band name. Gordy finally agreed to sign them if they changed their name and gave them a list to choose from. Florence chose the Supremes. Incidentally, the guys in the Primes also signed to Motown shortly after and became The Temptations. In an effort to appeal equally to black and white audiences, Gordy had Maxine Powell of Motown's in-house finishing school and artist development department polish the girls to define their feminine and glamorous image. Between 61 and 63, the Supremes put out a bunch of non-charting songs with each singer trading off lead vocals, usually written and produced by Barry Gordy or Smokey Robinson. But that changed in 1963. The Motown writing and producing team of brothers Brian and Eddie Holland and Lamont Dozier took over working with the Supremes, while Barry Gordy finally chose Diana Ross to be the lead singer of the group. By 1965, they were international stars with a crossover pop appeal that broke down racial barriers and paved the way for fellow Motown artists like The Temptations and The Jackson Five. Now, Barry Gordy had been secretly planning to take Diana solo for a while, but by 1967, many Motown acts, as well as Florence and Mary, were pissed that he was putting his interest in Diana above everyone else. And that didn't get much better when he officially changed the name to Diana Ross and the Supremes that year. And with that name change, the group began to disintegrate. Florence's hurt turned to depression and a drinking problem made her gain weight and become undependable. She performed intermittently that year with newer Supremes filling in until finally Gordy fired her. Cindy Birdsong replaced Florence, but the group hit another hurdle the following year when their hit machine of Holland Dozier Holland left Motown. Gordy saw this as the right time to pull Diana from the Supremes. Diana went on to huge success and the Supremes had a few early top 20 hits before calling it quits in 1977. Tragically, the Supremes founder Florence Ballard died at 32 in 1976 after years of fighting for restitution against Motown. The ladies had become the most successful chart-topping American pop group of the 60s, and although they never won a Grammy, they had 12 number one hits and 33 songs in the top 40. And in 1988, the Supremes became the first female group inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and their style and essence has been emulated by artists like En Vogue, Destiny's Child, and nearly every all-female vocal group after them. And my guest today is a true fan, because this was the record she picked when I showed her the list, because I wanted to have her on, and she was like, fucking Supremes, bro. The one and only Esther Pavitsky. You know Esther as one of the stars of Dollface on Hulu, as one of the creators and stars of Alone Together on Freeform. Maybe you know her from her podcast, Esther Club, or maybe you're anticipating her incredible stand-up special on Comedy Central on June 5th. 
Esther is a near and dear friend of mine, and it was it was like you know it felt like felt like being back at the open mic at the Sunset Grill, kicking it and just talking shop. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500 and listen free on Spotify. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group, the 500 Podcast with Jam, and the 500 Podcast fan page. And for all things 5, honey, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 423 out of 500 with Anthology by Diana Ross and the Supremes. Esther Povinsky, she is a Esther, little Esther, and you back and little Esther, and that was fun. <laughs> How are you doing? How is your quarantine? Oh my gosh, so much better now that the <laughs> that song was to sing to me. But uh, is it good? You you shacked up right now. You're safe. Yes, I am. I'm safe. I'm. I'm not leaving. I'm just staying put, ordering lots of groceries and cooking and listening to the Supremes. Yes, which, you know what, it's funny that you bring that up because that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> Let me ask, so I tried to get you on the podcast, oh, fuck, I think it was like, you know, eight, nine months ago, and I gave you the list, and you said The Supremes, and then I tried, and I was like, cool, and I put you down, and then I tried to get you on a different record, and you were like, no, I want to do The Supremes. I love The Supremes. <laughs> I'm so bad. <laughs> well, I just, here's the thing. I am very narrow with my music. And so if it's not, if it doesn't like hit me right where I need to be hit, I'm, I know that listening will be a chore and I won't like be myself. So I felt like I didn't want to waste your and your listeners time with something that I just kind of like hated. They would have not given a shit. I've, they've already gone through like 75 episodes with me wasting their time. So (laughs) it's like, no, but so, so why the Supremes? Like, like how did you first get into them? So, um, I, we learned, we actually learned about Motown from, this is so random in my kindergarten class, we learned about when it was first grade, it was very early elementary school. We learned about Motown and, um, you know, our music teacher, Mr. House, would play us Motown songs and talk about them. And I I just instantly fell in love with them. I thought, like, oh, my God, this is so catchy. It's so bright and cheery. And if it wasn't necessarily cheery in the, like, lyrics, it still had that, like, bubblegum. Like, I almost liken it to, like, McDonald's of music, but in a really good way. It just has that – it just sounds good. It feels good. It's addicting. It makes you feel good. Um, And I just – right away, I was hooked, and then it was, like, extra credit to go out and buy the Motown 40 CD that had just been released. And I was like, well, I'm doing that. Went to Best Buy, (laughs) got the Motown 40, and then, then like, you know, fell – like, Supremes by – the Supremes by far like became my number one because they're like these powerful women and they were singing catchy songs. And so then I would go to used used record stores and try to find like all the Supremes albums I could. 
and just kind of like had fun dancing in my mirror to them for years to come. Have you been doing that recently as I asked you to listen to this? Because you have. cannot not dance. Like I know. Dude, I'm trying to do their movements. Like I'm doing like the stop with the hand, like putting yes. it out. And like I was going balls deep on buttered popcorn. I was fucking doing <laughs> I was doing a shuffle step. I think I did like the, the fucking electric slide. It's such fun music. Like I knew about them as a little kid, but I don't think they were like almost like handed to me the way they were handed to you. How old are you at that time? You're probably when you first got into them. Like how old is a first grader? I don't know. I I don't have kids. So what is a first grader? Like 10? I have no no idea. Are they five? (laughs) No, I think five. I think five, six is is first grade. Yeah. (laughs) Which is actually the age that I got into. That was when I got run DMC raised in hell. That's when I got the beastie boys licensed to ill when I was, cause that's like 1986 is when I was five years old. And I mean, that's what was introduced to me. I, I don't think, you know, the Supremes really came into my life until now. Like, it's funny, like, and I don't know if you experienced this, but it, how well you knew them, but, like, listening to the Supremes now, it just made me realize, like, like how many songs that I knew that I had no idea were the Supremes. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, that makes so much sense, especially because this album that we were focusing on has so many of their hits that like it's just it's hit after hit like baby love I mean there's just so many good hits on here that you probably again it's like songs everyone knows but may not know exactly who sings them what were you connecting with as a little kid like do you remember the song that stuck out to you when you were stop in the name of love I just couldn't believe how (laughs) great it was it sounds like a sesame street song it's like very like it's like here's love stop look at it appreciate it for that's what it's doing it's teaching you just not run by love it's like such a such a sesame street thing to do the advice is laid out very clearly to very, learn very how clearly. to handle things and so now as i've asked you to listen to this you know many years later like what really stuck out to you on this listen um I think like the transformative experience that you can have when you listen to music that really like spells out an era to you. Like I can't listen to this music and not picture myself in like this, in this time. Like I just, it it takes me out of 2020 pandemic and takes me (laughs) straight to like 50s, 60s, where like I guess things were better in some ways and maybe not in others. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, just uh, the president got assassinated, Martin Luther King got assassinated, Malcolm X got assassinated, the beginning of Vietnam, the end of the Korean War, you know, racism, you know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Way easier, way easier. But but like it does, you know, in the fantasy version, I'm like, okay, all of a sudden I'm dressed like a 1950s housewife and I'm, I mean – I, I can't say I'd be cooking or cleaning because I don't really know how to do any of that. But I, I just that, yeah. I'm, I'm a 1950s housewife who's dancing in the mirrors. Basically, it just it takes me back to this imaginary my imaginary version of that era uh-huh. and like how things were. Is that Camelot? I don't know. Just like pretty and nice and less air pollution and um, bluer skies. Yeah, I don't know. I, I you know what? Uh, 
that is a perfect way to put my experience with listening to this record because uh, I, I feel that no one, if they listen to this album, can say it's bad. Do you know what I mean? Wow. There is yeah. no, there is not, there is not a song on here that doesn't match everybody's taste. Every single little, like, just you can't not hum mm-hmm. a song off of this. And and if you are, and if you can't, then you're dead inside. <laughs> what 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 I thought was was really cool was like I said, I didn't realize how many of them were were like super smash hits that they had done and in a certain order that were all of them were coming out. Because the the real like I think charm of their music isn't just these three beautiful girls that are so talented, the way they're dancing, the way that they're dressed, you know, but the songs are perfectly crafted. And so, uh, you know, the main writer of most of their, their music were, was this incredible trio uh, of Lamont Dozier. I'm probably going to fuck that up. And then Brian and Eddie Holland. And I was looking at some of the other songs that these guys wrote Um they, I mean, it's just like looking at this list starting in like 62 with like uh, Heat Wave by Martha and the Vandals. Oh, um, wow. Can I Get a Witness by Marvin Gaye. He was writing The Temptations. He's writing for The Supremes. He's writing for Eddie Holland. The Four Tops. Dude, he wrote like two of my favorite, I guess, considered like Motown songs, which are Reach Out by The Four Tops, which is that one that's like, you know, I'll be there which I fucking love that. And then the song off of this one, let me see if I can find it, which is it? Um, you Keep Me Hanging On, which is probably oh, my favorite song so off the Supremes. Yeah. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh my God, I love that song so much. <laughs> here's what's kind of funny about this is that this almost never really happened because when they got with Motown, um, Barry, the owner of Motown, liked the Supremes, but thought they were too young and inexperienced. So this almost didn't happen. Kind of which is funny because since I've known you, you've looked like an (laughs) eight-year-old. You've always looked younger than you are. I remember when I met you at the comedy store and you were like, yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I think, how were you when you showed up at the comedy store? 21. You're 21 and you and you could have passed for a 14 year old and 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 you still like in a sense can still get roles that are definitely you know playing younger than you are. Is it? Let me ask you this: Is it hard to prove your worth in the comedy world when you look so young? Oh my gosh! Well, firstly, you're so kind, and I do have such fun memories of being at open mics with you and you just being like, "Esther, you're a child. Go home." <laughs> <laughs> like, what just, a dick. no, like in the fun, most fun way ever. Um, I mean, look, nobody can look young forever. I'm. I look like up close. I look like a teenager with wrinkles. Like. I'm I, it's not as glamorous as you're making it sound dude, but that I have... 15 year olds had a rough life dude <laughs> look at the circles under that girl's eyes was she 14 I have had some weird experiences though like I've been at auditions where I've been like I'm so impatient and I'm like so is it gonna be much longer like I have to go feed my meter and then the person running the audition is like you 
drove yourself here? And I'm like, bitch, I'm like 30. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I used to think it was just the, I'm like, I'm in oh, debt. I'm yeah. in debt. Like, <laughs> I'm debt. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's been fun to have people think that I'm a kid and then be surprised at times. And, you know, also to wonder, like, has every guy that's ever been attracted to me been a pedophile? You know, you always have to like, yes. Think about that one. Talk, you know, what, what is it? But yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right. All right. Well, let's listen. Let's let's dive into the album. So there's 50 songs on this record coming in at two hours and 26 minutes. So to all the Kadoogles out there that did the homework, thank you for doing that. We're only going to do a condensed version of that. All right. But we got to start off with the opener. So the album opens with I Want a Guy. Peter, play 11 seconds in. Dude, I'm hooked for the first time listener of this. The second you hear that, ha, 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 ha. Peter, play that one more time, dude. Dude, that might be my favorite note on this whole record. <laughs> it's awesome. That. And I didn't know this song. I did not know this one really that well. And I it, it was nice to kind of get to discover a quote unquote new one of their songs. And like, it instantly pulled me in. It's so catchy. Oh, it's I couldn't agree with you more. So this came out in 1961. It's a it's about a lonely woman wanting to find a new good man. Uh, and this was their first Motown single. Uh, at this point, when they were getting started, they were still a quartet with Diana Ross, Florence Ballard, Mary Wilson, and Barbara Martin. Um not my favorite song on the album. I do like that. Ha ha ha. That part's great. Uh, I understand that we have to start off with this. And being that it's it's a greatest hits, I can't judge the order of the songs. Mm. But I want to focus on the idea of wanting a guy. Because I love you, Esther. <laughs> you are one of the most adorable, sweetest people I know. And... It's funny watching you play your character on Dollface, who, as I as I was quoted finding, uh, your dad said is another loser desperate to be accepted. Is that yes, right? Yes, it's so right. 
So what's the farthest you've gone to be accepted by a by a guy? Oh my god. Well, like all of high school I pretended for basically 4 years to like Lord of the Rings without ever seeing one movie or reading one book. <laughs> I and like I'm I just I am desperation personified. Like I you know, if a guy I liked was wearing a Cubs hat the next day, I would show up to school with like all Cubs gear and merchandise. No, like that was, yes, yeah, no, that was the easiest way to get a guy's attention. And that's like what I thought I had to do. And I always say like magic, every guy, for some reason, every guy I've ever dated has like the strongest opinion in the world about magic. Like they either love it or hate it. And no matter who I'm I with, that's the I, world in general. That's not just guy, <laughs> the guys you've dated. That's that most people. True. But like, so I've always pretended to either like it or hate it depend based on who I'm dating to the point where I have no idea how I actually feel about it because I, it's just the easiest topic for me to be a chameleon on for guys. So you, so you're on a date with a guy and you're like, so let me just ask you a question. What are your thoughts on card tricks? And he's <laughs> like, I love them. And you're like, yeah, me too. I love them too. Exactly. <laughs> such a weird thing to be. What was the, wait, what was the most like, I mean, looking back at it now, crushing thinking about something that you actually did so you could get a crush to like you. <sighs> I mean, the Lord of the Rings is pretty bad, but I it's mean. not great. It's not great. I mean, it's not the worst, though. You know, oh my God, you know, there's this guy that I was into, and like, you know, we had like a hangout planned from at my place, like, you know, probably 10 years ago, whatever. And I remember before he came over, I set books, like open books, around my apartment to make it look like I was reading and a reader and like I'd have something to talk about. And I just look back on that and I'm like, it's so obvious I was not reading. Like I lived in a, like in a desolate studio apartment that all I had in it was a twin mattress and like a laptop, like nobody, I don't know. It just was so pathetic. <laughs> you're living like a, like a terrorist. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just like, but like a, like a hostage. I mean, like you're like, like you yeah. just have the mattress and a jug of water. <laughs> Yeah, that's I don't... most that's most open mic like beginning comics. You know what I mean? We're all fucking living on floors at that point. Oh yeah, we have no t we have no taste. We have no sense of style. Like nothing. It was total garbage. And I'm sure that guy did not care that I was pretending that I read. I think he just wanted to, you know, kiss and make up. It wasn't really. Oh yeah, dude. Guys don't care. <gasps> all right, moving on uh, to. Probably, I don't want to say this is my favorite song on the record, but it's my favorite song on the record. <laughs> Buttered Popcorn. It came out in 1962. This is not only one of the rare singles to feature Florence Ballard on lead, but the only one with her as a sole lead. The song talks of a woman who's worried that her man is more concerned with eating, uh, quotation marks, buttered popcorn than anything else. Uh, Peter, play the intro. What is this about? Can you just tell me what is what's going on here? Okay, so here you go. So like I'm just gonna give you some sample lyrics, all right? Okay. Because because what they're saying is that this is solely about a guy that wants to eat popcorn. This is the chorus. It goes, My baby likes buttered popcorn. 
He likes it greasy and sticky and gooey and salty. Now, I go to the Arclade a lot, right? <laughs> get the big bucket, no butter. But my friends, when they go, they get butter. I have never had popcorn that is sticky or gooey. Gooey is just not, no. Yeah, dude, this is about fucking. <laughs> this is 100% about fucking. Maybe it's about food. Probably not. It's it's got me a little got me a little spoogled thinking about it. But you are a snack queen. I am. Everyone knows it. Oh, this is. I'm actually like this. Might have this song might be turning some people <laughs> on. It's making me so hungry. All I want is <laughs> like I'm gonna go make popcorn after we record this because okay, it sounds so good. They're making it sound good. It's great. It's a great great song. It's about fucking. It's not about buttered popcorn. But what's the grossest snack you've ever made? Like, what's the most gluttonous night of eating you ever had? <laughs> oh, man. I, what I, just, a... I see your post. I see your post sometimes. You're like, I just ate uh, partially partially moldy cookie dough. Like, I softened it. And then I, and then I eat it with a spoon. Oh, that. Oh, God. Well, last night, I actually. So, I'm. I'm cook. I'm trying to cook for myself. I'm not, you know, I'm trying not to go out, do takeout and stuff just for pandemic reasons. And for sure, I, I ran out of my frozen French fries and like, I'm noticing that I really am needing, I'm having those cravings. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to try to make my own version of French fries. And when I cook, I like the, there's one rule about my cooking that there's one rule I always break. And I always do not finish cooking it. And I always eat it before it's ready. So last night I tried to make fries. I boiled the potatoes, cut them up, put them in the pan. I was like, they're crispy enough. Take them out. I have like four different ketchups. And I was just like, my fingers were like dripping in oil and ketchup. And I was eating my like mushy uncooked fries. And my fiance just looked at me like, this is disgusting. I'm taking photos of you. You look like you're lost you look it's it was it, i mean anytime i cook it's gross because i'm eating half cooked food because i can't wait for it to be finished can you yeah. how do you do you cook for yourself do you finish cooking it do you have the patience yeah i know i actually have patience so about two years ago i had a buddy of mine come over and teach me how to cook because i realized how much money i was spending on food yes and then i just learned how to cook the basics like you know uh saute a chicken breast bake a chicken breast and then i you know how to cook fish you know vegetables all that other shit and then i started learning how to cook stuff in bulk and so i became accustomed for my regular three meals or, or five meals that i have a day <laughs> are all like are basically all healthy ass shit so I wait, it's very, and I also, it's just like I Tupperware stuff. So I cook like turkey in bulk and then I grab a handful and I cook that. My most gluttonous thing during this whole pandemic has been the second I get high. So around 8 p.m. and I lay on the couch, every 15 minutes I make that walk to the to the cupboard to grab like a snack. And I mean, it's going from jelly beans to high chews to mm. cookies that I bought to cookies that I've made to two different flavors of ice cream to a bowl of cereal like that it's the most like that walk from my couch to the cupboard that fifth walk is like <laughs> I feel so much shame yes and yet and yet I feel like no I'm allowed to do it it's a fucking pandemic I'm packing on weight just in case 
just in case the food supply gets shut off and I need to eat my 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 body needs to eat protein out of its out of its limbs and shit. I'm gonna be nice and chunky, right? I think that's such good justification. I also like the progression of your snacking. Like you start small with the jelly bean and like the fruity candies yeah. and then you yeah, go to dude. cookies. Like that's such an that's such a smart level. Um it sounds like you like your fruity, chewy guy. Are you? Do you like Sour Patch Watermelon? That's my favorite candy. And also, I I like black licorice. I know that's very old lady of me. No, no, no. I'm a huge licorice fan, but I'm very specific to only Twizzlers. Like, I wanted licorice the other night, and I was like, all they had was red vines and some weird, like, some weird Belgium licorice. And I was like, no. I was <laughs> like, I'll wait until I find Twizzlers. I love the sour stuff. Love the sugary stuff. Um, but it's just, it's weird. It's, it's only been during the pandemic that I'm really attracted to it. I think it's just because I'm, I'm fighting off depression through food. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's a, it's definitely a useful coping tool that I'm indulging in. And we're allowed to do it. We're allowed to do it right now. There's nothing wrong with it. We're not hurting anybody except giving ourselves type two diabetes. And that's yes. fine because that's <laughs> us. That's our diabetes. It's not your diabetes. Right. It's no one else's business. Yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, and we've also come to a string of hits that are on the record that all just fall one after the other. First one is Where Did Our Love Go? So after the Motown writing and producing team of the brothers Brian and Eddie Holland and Lamont Dozier took over, the Supremes finally cracked the top 10 with 1963's When the Love Light Starts Shining Through His Eyes. Then, in 64, this became their first first of five consecutive number one songs and you can see why because this song is so iconic peter uh play a little taste i love the drama of behind their music like i love how dramatic this message is like it just makes me want to like roll around and crawl on the ground and pout and then pop my hip and like it just it's like please don't leave me like that's so dramatic I I just I don't know it sounds so fun and then it's also dramatic and that's why I love it yeah, please don't leave me all by myself. And then it's like, I got this burning, burning, yearning. You ever had a burning, burning, yearning? I mean, only after a really <laughs> big meal. Fuck yeah. I wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk about uh, love. And I wanted to talk about bonds that we've created uh, with people that we've met in our lives. And you had a very, very deep and special bond with uh, our good friend who's no longer with us, Brody Stevens. And ladies and gentlemen of the Fleece Army out there, if you don't know who Brody Stevens is, look him up. Uh, one of the funniest comedians in the world uh, and one of the most original as well. But you guys had this very, very special bond. Like, where did that come from and what made your bond with Brody so special? You know, we met at the comedy store and then we started doing a podcast together. I think that Brody and I both sort of, um, neither of us are like dirty or like into mean spirited comedy. And I think we just kind of had like a, a good similar sensibility. We're both like, I grew up dancing and Brody had grown up, you know, he was an athlete 
played baseball, um, as we all know. And so like, we really bonded over hiking and like eating well, and just kind of really trying to control those negative feelings that can come up and just fighting those. And I, I just feel like, you know, similar we just we all we wanted all the same things which i know you're like that too you know just want to feel healthy and have fun and those kinds of things you know we we had a moment at the at the brody memorial that was one of the most beautiful moments of my life which was when i forget who was talking but we were both everybody was emotional and like I saw you emotional, you saw me emotional and we just like grabbed hands and cried together. Mm. And it was like, it was, there was so much love in that room, not just between us, but between everybody. And so, you know, a bond is, is, is something that comes by, you know, once every, you know, a real true one comes by once a lifetime. So for someone like you and myself to have that kind of relationship with Brody. I think it's like, it's like they always say, it's like the world's existed for 2 billion years and you lived during the time of Prince. Like we did stand up comedy during the time of Brody Stevens. It's wild. It's, it's just so wild, dude. So it's uh, something that, yeah, I feel grateful for. And, um, yeah, I'm glad that we both got to experience what we did with him. Can they still find some of the old podcasts that you guys did together? Yeah, those I think uh, Red Band put those up on YouTube. And yeah, those are around the Brody Nestor podcast for sure. Yeah, check that shit out, everybody. Cadoogles, get up on that. All right, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so then it goes into Baby Love. With this, they became the first Motown artist to have two number one hits. Motown president Barry Gordon wanted another hit like the last song, so they incorporated some of the same elements. And this is actually really funny because I'd never considered how similar these two songs were between Where Did Our Love Go and Baby Love, but you got to hear it. Peter, play a little bit of Baby Love. Dude, that's the same song. Damn near the same song. And I'm not <laughs> hating on it at all. It almost kind of reminds me like of like Lana Del Rey, like just totally putting yourself out there as a desperate, almost just like you're desperate for someone. And I, that I relate to that so much in their music because you're just saying like, you know, it's not about playing like hard to get or, Oh, maybe, you know, let him chase me. It's like, no, I'm a desperate woman and I'm going to tell you how pathetic <laughs> I am. I'm going to let you know I'm not afraid. So <laughs> have good. you done that before? Are you? Oh my God. Are you kidding? Yes, I have. I've, <laughs> I've only ever really been with guys that I chase. Like I'm all about chasing guys. Cause I've never wanted to be someone that gets chased just because I don't want to be with a chaser because then I feel like once they get you they they might kind of be like, okay, what else can I get? So I'm, when I like see, when I met my fiance, like I saw him at a party. It was like, that guy's cute. Like I'm going for it. And then cornered him, wouldn't let him go. Like kept talking to him. Just totally. I'm all about, I'm all about like putting it out there. Like I'm pursuing you, bitch. <laughs> Buy me a green tea. <laughs> <laughs> on our first date <laughs> alright uh, the next one come see about me uh, 
probably one of the best call and responses or most iconic that I've ever heard. Peter, play 41 seconds in. So won't you Crazy fact about this song that I had no idea about. The Supremes, while being the first to record this song, were not the first to issue it as a single. That distinction fell to Nella Dobbs, and her version started selling, even climbing as far as number 74 on the Billboard 100 charts. But then Motown released this version uh, as a single, which immediately killed Nella Dobbs' version. So... The Supremes are fucking ruthless, man. They do not give a fuck, dude. Fucking Barry Gordy. You like this song? I do. It's so good, of course. All right, we've come to your song now. We've come to yours. Stop in the name of love. Peter, just play the goddamn intro of this song. All right, that might be the most jolting beginning of a song I've ever heard in my life. Like the way they come out, it just like builds up, and then it and then it just fucking does. Ha! You're like, Jesus <laughs> Christ! This is that's kind of how love comes at you. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if they did it for that because like you never expect to fall in love or fall for somebody, right? It's like you might go, you go, you know, you're you're in a writer's room or you're working on set or you're at the club. And you're you're just not even expecting love to come up and bite you, and then it just fucking stop. And you like feel it. (laughs) That's so true. I just when I hear this song, I just would love to know what would it be like for it to be like cruising around in your cool 1960s car in 1965, and this song comes on the radio, and you hear it for the first time, and you're just like, what is this? This is changing me. Yeah, 100%. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Uh, Cool fact about the song, the Supremes live choreography for this song with one hand on the hip and the other outstretched in a stop gesture, was taught to them by members of the Temptations. So, in case you were wondering. All right, moving on to Nothing But Heartaches, Back In My Arms Again. Uh, So, after another number one with Back In My Arms Again, 
Motown figured they had a formula for chart toppers, but this derivative single stalled at number 11. And that blows my mind because it might be right behind Buttered Popcorn as one of my favorite catchiest songs on the record. Nothing but heartache. Uh, Peter, play a little bit of that. That moment right there is the moment that I became a true Supremes fan. I fucking love nothing but heart. Is it heartache or heartbreak? I don't. I love either way. Heartache and heartbreak. I fucking love that song. It's it's definitely like it. Also, is a surprise to me that this one is not another number one song. It's so good. It's so. I, I don't know. It's like, it's so relatable. Yeah, I'm with you. But I do think it's interesting that your two favorites are kind of like not the number ones. Because I'm, I'm more with the number ones. I'm like more of a, you know, I go with the masses more than you do, I guess. You're no, no, and you, and you, but you're 100% right. Because those, the other songs, I mean, there's a formula we could all say for writing a hit song. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dozier, Holland, uh, Holland, whatever the fucking writing trio, trio's name is, like they had it figured out. But there's certain things that just connect with me more. Whereas Buttered Popcorn is so cheesy and so just, it's such a simple song, but it just got, and maybe it's the cheesiness. It's the reason I love Rocky Horror Picture Show and the movie Night of the Demons. Like, I don't, I love cheesy shit. Whereas Stop in the Name of Love and the other songs are perfect pop formulas. They're like, you know, Teenage Dream by Katy Perry. It's just a perfectly written song. It's catchy. So, so these two, I, it could just be a note for me uh, mm. that really turns me into me falling in love with it. And with nothing but heartbreak, it's just, maybe it's the, the fact that I've had my heart broken or maybe it's just the way it was written. But uh, a funny fact is that it prompted Barry Gordy to circulate a memo around Motown saying, we will release nothing less than top 10 product on any artist. And because the Supremes worldwide acceptance is greater than other artists on them, we will only release number one records. That is the most cocky shit (laughs) I have ever read in my life. But I love that. Yeah. What a great way. Like I would love to adopt that. It's like, I'm only writing (laughs) hit TV shows from now on. That's the rule. No more, n- nothing but hit TV shows nothing coming but hit, out of me. Every show is going to be Cheers. <laughs> every show is going to be fucking Frasier or Cheers. Well, I guess if you're not the one writing it, it's easier to say that. It's like everyone who works for me can only write hits. That's such a great way to, to lead. <laughs> but, but also, but Esther, you, from us working in this industry, like you've met people that say that kind of shit. You know what I mean? That are just like, like, and that's how they become the heads of some of these places. Cause you have to have that unflinching ego that just I will know. never doubt it. It's I, dude, I, we we're friends. And I think you dated a comic who, even when he was in the open mics, it was like, <laughs> I'm going to be the biggest star in the world. You're like that motherfucker was right. And he's, he, you do it. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's true. I, I, I felt like it was hard to have this conversation without one of us bringing him up because he totally like back in the day really was that person to be like, I am a star. And 
there's something to it. There's a method to the madness. Like if you believe it and I, it's kind of interesting too, cause you know, sometimes when I try to like pet myself up, you know, if I'm feeling down, I'm like, well, I guess why not just assume I'll get that job or like this pilot will get picked up. Why not just assume it? Because it doesn't hurt to believe that you're good. But then also if it doesn't happen, it, it does hurt. But, you know, it is you're right. There's something to say about believing in yourself. And I mean, regardless, to put it out in a fucking statement is pretty cocky. But I mean, the way that Motown was rocking at that time with all the other artists that they had. I mean, I of course, they're like, fuck, yeah, well, all we're doing is doing this shit. I mean, obviously, they they it didn't work because the company doesn't exist anymore. So, you know. Barry maybe should have kept it in. Maybe not sent a goddamn press release. Maybe just told a couple people. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to uh, You Can't Hurry Love. Now, yes. following two more singles. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Following two more singles that only went top 10, this 66 number one came from their ninth album, The Supremes A Go-Go, which became the first album by an all-female group to reach number one. Wow, I didn't know that. Um the lyrics about a mother's advice to have patience to find a man were actually taken from a 1950s gospel song written by Dorothy Love Coates called You Can't Hurry God, He's Right on Time. Now, this the chorus is the shit, and the verse is perfect. But since we can only play 13 seconds legally, I picked this one. This is my favorite part. Peter, play it. No, Diana Ross is going hard in that part. You can just hear her sweating. She's probably like like spitting on the microphone because she's just fucking throwing it like that. I'm just that is with that especially that part of that song like I can't not like shake and flail my arms around while it's playing. It's just so <laughs> it's so good and it and again it's got this like underneath it, the message it's like coming from someone who's kind of pathetic and i yeah. like that about this <laughs> a lot <laughs> I, I can't i can't hear this song without thinking about uh whoopi goldberg in jumping jack flash have you ever seen that scene no where she sings this all right so do everybody listeners Dougals, fleece army esther this apocalypse if you're looking for something to watch Watch Jumpin' Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg. The movie is hysterical, and there's a scene in it where she sings this, and it's it's iconic to me and my family, but obviously not to everybody else. But but I love I love that you love this because you feel like you know she there's this message behind it. There's this advice that you can't you can't you know you can't hurry it. So let me ask you this: What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Huh. Best advice. Wow. Um, that's so tough. I feel like there's so much good advice that I've gotten over the years. I mean, what's good advice you've gotten? Uh, like, do you have any? Let's just look at the, the, the stuff that Brody taught us. Positive energy. Yeah. That's it. It's just be positive. Cause all right. So I'll give you an example. Um, 
Right before I started working on this podcast, I was in this horrible depression, horrible existential crisis in my life where I, I didn't know if I wanted to continue with stand-up. I, I didn't know if it was making me happy, like social media was making me unhappy. And, uh-huh. and, and then I decided to to change somebody said to me they were like god it's like you come to the gym some days because somebody mentioned to me i go to this one gym and this lady says to me she's like some days you come in here and you're the happiest guy in the world and other days you're just like angry at everybody and nobody had ever told me that i did that you know so clearly i didn't i knew i was like other days i was like pissed off but i didn't think it was like that so like palpable and at that moment, I was like, all right, well, I want to I be positive. And so I started reading books about getting present and living in the moment. And from that point on, I, I, I had this different outlook. I wasn't going to, like, vent to people when I saw them. I wasn't going to bring my shit onto them. I was just going to wow. be positive. And the second I did that, Esther, everything in my life changed. Wow. You know I mean? Wait, this is amazing. Because... You know, we've all been that person in our lives and we all know that person in our lives where it's like all about the venting and like, you know, people are sick of it and you're sick of them. And like, it is really interesting to hear that self-awareness of like, wow, yeah, like I was venting and on people and giving them my shit. And then you, you stopped and now you're so much better off. I feel like there's so many people I know that like need to hear you say that and myself included, like, cause it is. It's just, it's not easy to do what we do. No. It's not easy to be a fucking human being. Like I, I've been trying to learn a lot about happiness because it seems like such a mystery to me. And it does feel like happiness is not just something you get to be or not be. It's like, Oh, it's something you work towards and you earn every day. Like it is a job that you show up to, to try to make, to make yourself happy, whether it's like accomplishing something you set out to accomplish or like making yourself a great meal, like taking a walk, you know, like you work out, I dance in front of my mirror. Like it's, I don't know. I just really relate to that. And feel like, yeah, this is, we're growing up, we're getting older. Like we have to figure out how to be real humans and not just complainers. <laughs> yeah, and it, but it's and it's so easy to to do what we do and live in this town and complain. But yeah. I mean, I dude, I, I, I'll I I can tell you because from experience that much like most of the world uh, right now, I the first two weeks of this of this epidemic uh, or pandemic, where the fuck it's called, I I was freaking out, and then the second I woke up after two weeks and I wrote a gratitude list. I woke up and I was like, just like my, cause I go to this like guru and he was like, just make a guy, just get it out, get it on the paper so you can see like what you're grateful for. And I did. And I was like, Holy shit, dude, there's like people that I know that don't even have, don't even have half of the stuff that I'm grateful for. I have no reason to be complaining. Like I'm lucky. And when you take everything down and just bring it into the moment that you're in at this point, and you're positive about that the fact that you get to have this moment yeah. like it, you, it's like you win every time so totally and it can also be just about like your reference point you know like if i'm going to sit here and compare myself to like you know all these like super rich and famous people yeah of course i'm going to feel like shit but if i compare myself to where i was 10 years ago like if i could just do that i'll feel so much better i'm really learning about like you know super basic shit but like just don't compare don't you know i don't i know no, compare and despair I, is the worst thing that you totally can do, but yeah that's the worst hands down and i think that was 
that was like one of the big things that you know especially after after Brody died where I was just like dude I I'm so lucky like I have no reason like you know because I looked at Brody like he was the happiest guy in the world and to know that he was dealing with that kind of stuff and yet he still went out there and just pushed all this positive mantra stuff that we only could have wished he was really believing himself. You know what I mean? It's like he just cared about the exterior but and didn't deal on the interior. And you have to deal, you know, you could be the happiest guy on the outside, but it's like you've got to just look at yourself and just know that you're doing okay, you're growing. Like, dude, I made a shitload of mistakes in my life. I don't let him define me. I just go, no, there were mistakes. Yeah. I learned and I moved on. Right. That's so. and that, by the way, is like an actual life skill that like has not you don't just wake up with that life skill. That's like a life skill that you've probably worked on. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's yeah, it's, That's it's cool. it took 38 years. And and I said for the next if I'm lucky to get another 38 years, like I don't want him to be depressing. So. So I changed and that's all you can do. Yay. All right, moving on, moving on. We're going to go to you keep me hanging on probably my favorite out of all of their hit hits. Uh, this number one was finished at the same time as you can't hurry love, but Motown's quality control department picked that first. Uh, Peter play one thirty one. Set me free. That's set me free. <laughs> this song is so good that yesterday when I was listening to it, it brought tears to my eyes. It's <gasps> it's such a good song. And I think the reason, Esther, that I like it so much is because it's so different from anything on the record. So on this, and you got to think about it, on this, their sound got more experimental. They started incorporating some harder funk. The recording got differently. They started using multi-tracked instruments and vocals. And then and then the guitar. That guitar is like emulating this Morris code, uh, which I think makes the song. It's just a perfect song. And the message, like who has not been in that situation where you know you're with someone, they don't really like you, they just keep you around and yeah. you don't have the self-confidence to tell them off and tell them, no, I can't make it tonight. And so this song, she's just begging. They're begging, set me free. Like, yeah. it's so relatable. It's such a, like, honest emotion and honest life experience. I just... I. I love hearing this so much. And, you know, and, and it's funny that you're saying that because if you listen to the song again, go back and re-listen to the song, it builds to the point where not only, because at first it's just Diana saying it, and then it's like the whole group is saying it, and then by the end of it, they're almost, I wouldn't say they're scream singing it, but you can feel the the passion that is behind those words of being asked to be set free. And I think that just is what, what does it for me. And when I was listening to it, I heard all of that for the first time. And I was like, it just got me right in my, my squigglies. And I was like, Jesus <sighs> Christ, this is perfect. Well, imagine if these words weren't being sung, but someone was just saying, it's like, let me find somebody else, set me free, like get off my life. Like these are such, it's so, it's so dramatic. <laughs> I mean, before the pandemic, I saw a couple arguing about that in front of a Jimmy John's. Like literally she was like, set me free, set me free. All right, I want to move on. I want to move on uh, to Reflections because this is such a different song 
mm-hmm. you know, that I think probably one of the most mature songs that the Supremes have done. So this was the first single that after Barry Gordy officially changed their name to Diana Ross and the Supremes. And like I said, I don't think we've heard anything like this by the Supremes up until this point. Peter, play a little bit. I'm all alone now. So this is the Supremes doing like their attempt at psychedelia, you know, this mm-hmm. is their, this song has such a timestamp and, and, mm-hmm. and there's a reason for it because this came out in 67, which is the summer of love. Uh, the music at the time that was popular, all the contemporaries were like the Beatles, the beach boys, like this song, when I hear it, it just, it it's, that's to me, the sound you said it earlier, the sound of 1967 this song you know what i mean mm-hmm. yes i can almost hear people playing hacky sack you know and by that i mean hippies but i mean what i'm saying it's just <laughs> i feel it like i feel it from this do you get anything from it it's it, like if you were gonna make a movie of that year like you would have this song playing over yes. like a beautiful like it just it it tra- it really does transform you to that place takes you to transport sorry bad at words cool thing though uh that i don't know if you knew but uh lil wayne sampled this song for his song lollipop (gasps) that is so cool all right check it out all right peter play the intro to reflections all right now play the intro to lollipop by lil wayne uh-huh. No, just that part that little that that first the first few drip drops was beep, 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 beep. it wow. never changes in reflections but the second i heard that i was like i have a sudden urge to throw dollar bills at a woman it just i don't know what it is but <laughs> love the song great song uh really starting to show like where the band is going uh from where they started because it's like very beatlesque to start with uh, what was the first song we did? Oh, let's just say Buttered Popcorn to then do Reflections. I mean, mm. that's just real growth. All right, yeah. moving on. The next one I want to talk about is Love Child because uh, this controversial song about a woman who doesn't want to get knocked up by her boyfriend because she was a poor, illegitimate child went to number one, but only after Barry Gordy organized a secret meeting with a group of Motown writers and producers called The Clan to take over the hit-making after Holland Dozier Holland quit. Peter, play the chorus. This song actually knocked the Beatles' Hey Jude out of number one after nine weeks. Wow. That's huge. It's funny that Love Child would go to number one, but then nothing but heartbreak or heartache. It's like that. Because I I listen to Love Child and I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is a a good song, but I don't think it's even remotely on the level of some of the other songs that didn't even make it to number one. But don't you think it's it, it's like the edginess that kind of like almost like how um, Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl is obviously a banger. It's great. 
but it has that edge to it about kissing a girl, the taboo, like that kind of sprung her into stardom. And I feel similar with this song that like you hear these lyrics and you're like, this is like, I can't believe they did this. Like, this is exciting. No, I, I, I see what you, I think yeah, it is exciting. And maybe that is why, I mean, you got to figure this came out in 1968 you know that's that it's definitely a darker period than you know something like you know come see about me in the early 60s i mean the world's changing so i guess the supremes have to change with them um don't think this is a better song than hey jude but you know <laughs> after 9 weeks i agree get, to disagree I get, yeah agree to disagree <laughs> but after 9 weeks i mean you know you want to hear something new Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. All right, I just want to play another uh, quick thing. Uh, somebody else sampled uh, the Supremes in "Someday We'll Be Together," which is a great song. Uh, Peter, play the intro of "Someday We'll Be Together." <laughs> All right, Esther, can you guess the song that sampled this? Oh, you I'm like You know this. Really? All right, you ready? Yeah. Peter, play the play the other song. I don't want to tell her yet. Just play the other one that I got. It's Janet Jackson. It's if Wow. Probably the most famous music video dance move in my whole life, which is that crazy arms thing that yen ten remember you know what I'm talking about where fucking Janet did those arms? Yeah. How do you not know that? I thought you were a Janet fan. I was bringing you back for Janet. She's a little more before <laughs> I just I never got introduced to her in the way that I needed it, but that is amazing and I love little Easter eggs like that in music where you, it's like if you've been paying attention yeah, the whole time, it. you'll, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So great song. The, the album in itself is incredible. And then they end the record with a live song, the impossible dream. Uh, Peter play a little bit of impossible dream for me. And the world will be better for So this was actually recorded for Diane's farewell shows at the Frontier Hotel in Las Vegas. So these were her last recordings with the group. And at the end of the show, she introduced her replacement, Gene Terrell. But Barry Gordy called Mary Wilson the next day to say he changed his mind and wanted a different replacement. Mary refused and Barry threatened to wash his hands of the whole group. So that song right there is the sound of the Supremes coming to an end. And what a way to end their careers. Wow. It seems like things were so different back then. Like, I just can't imagine today 
like someone replacing the lead singer of a band. Like, I don't know, maybe that happens more often than that, but that I am realizing, but doesn't that just feel like so anachronistic, like something that just doesn't nice happen word. right now? But nice work. Anachronistic. <laughs> Probably used it wrong. Who gives Probably a shit? I, I thought it was right. Ra- yeah, it was a hundred percent anachronistic. <laughs> gives a shit i love you oh my god what does that mean though what is it supposed to mean (laughs) it means like it doesn't happen it's out of its time like it's such a you know it's like if you saw um candy from 1955 like at the drugstore today you'd be like what this doesn't belong here yeah um it's just weird i like i just can't picture that reason like i can't picture britney spears coming out and being like this is my last show and um my predecessor is going i, I don't know it just seems weird yeah. and like not of this time does that make sense no, no it makes totally it wrong. makes perfect sense because well you have to assume that it's like diana ross was the star much like beyonce was the star of destiny's child mm-hmm and you could have replaced Michelle or uh, whoever the other one was. Kelly. Kelly. But you can't replace Beyonce. Right. So, but you got to try because <laughs> if it's a hit machine, do you know what I mean? And so if the Supremes are are bringing in so much money for Motown, like you figure it's like, well, we can't just kill it because the name the Supremes is so valuable. I mean- Stone Temple Pilots isn't Stone Temple Pilots without Scott Weiland, and yet they're still touring even after he died. It's not the same wow. to me, but some people are still going to go. If there's money, if people are willing to spend money on it, like, they'll, they'll fucking... Dude, they made nine police academies. Do you know what I mean? Like, You're right. Like, You're it's right. Just, we You're mil- so right. We milk shit until it's done. It doesn't say... It doesn't mean that it doesn't feel right or wrong, and it might not be mm-hmm. right or wrong, but still, it's like, obviously... There was no more songs on the anthology after the last one with Diana Ross. So obviously it didn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to do some facts and get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Facts. The impossible facts. Facts. All right. This is a good one. In the mid 60s, all three Supremes had flings with married Motown men. Mary Wilson got with Duke Fakir of the Four Tops, Florence Ballard with Otis Williams of the Temptations, and check this shit out, Diana double-dipped with both Smokey Robinson and label head Barry Gordy. Dude, fucking Diana is getting it in, dude. Wow. Wow. Iconic. Have you ever been the other woman? Or, or could you be? No. No, never. I'm I'm so needy that like that's just never that would <laughs> never work out for me. Yeah, he'd have no time to fuck. I him. need to be number one through five. <laughs> like I can't be. Uh, yeah, that would not work for me. I found out I was the other guy. I was I was dating this very famous like songwriter, and she was she was great. And I was like, this is recently. I was like kind of like falling for, her. and then like we were hanging out. And she's like, so who else are you dating? And I'm like, no one. I'm like, what about you? And she's like, well, you know, I'm dating. And I'm just like, oh, God. That like broke my heart. Yeah. Because I had already envisioned us getting married and like writing music together. Didn't happen. 
Wow. That's no, I mean, but at least she let you know that's a, that's gives, that deserves some credit. Maybe. Sure. (laughs) I don't know. Sure. I'll take credit. All right. Mary (laughs) Wilson was the only Supreme to be with the group from the beginning until the end. Um, what have you never given up on? Um, what have I never given up on? I guess you could say stand up, even though I've tried to quit it so many times. Um, I've stuck with it over the last 11 years and I'm glad that I have. Um, I think, yeah, I think that would be my answer. What about you? Um, I guess it's, you know, I could say the same thing about stand up. But there, there's just no way. I don't know what else I could do. Do you know what I mean? Totally. It's like I'm, I'm encompassing stand up with, with all of this, and it's just mm-hmm. like it's, it's so engraved into me. I don't think I've, I've ever really given up on is, is I've never stopped believing in myself, even at my lowest places. I always knew I was destined to do something, and, and you know, you can say you know, well, well, what is that? Does that mean being the biggest star in the world? No, I don't, I don't see it like that. I just see that like, no, I'm supposed to be doing this. And even when right. I was like a drug addict, I was like, no, I'm going to fucking make it. I'm going to be successful in whatever I do. And it's that kind of like unflinching, not ego, not saying I'm better than anybody, but just believing that, no, 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 I deserve a seat at this table. And you have to think like that all the time because when you doubt yourself that's when you bomb the audition that's when you bomb the set that's when you you're hanging out with a bunch of comics and you try to riff and the riff falls flat you just don't feel like you you're worthy of being in that group but we all are you just gotta work yeah i agree and you know you're right it's it's making it it is something different for everyone you know i always felt like for me making it was just trying yeah so like if i just try if i move to Los Angeles for a year and try to work in this industry, then like I've made it. And I think that like, like I said, it can be different for everyone. And and I'm, I'm glad that we're both here. Yeah. Dude, a hundred percent. All right. Last fact. Uh, here we go. Because they started off as an opening act, Diana Ross would watch and steal stage moves from other Motown acts after their sets to teach to Florence and Mary. What was your biggest sacrifice that led you to making it? Um, you know, firstly, it's weird to say like I've made it cause I, you know, I don't think anyone ever feels like that, sure. but I'm definitely out here trying. Um, I really sacrificed kind of everything else like especially those first few years out here maybe even first five years like I did not like go to weddings or funerals (laughs) like I've missed out on like so many things and I never took a vacation and I and I just I, I feel like I sacrificed normal life experiences for kind of a long time so that I could really just be focused on and dedicated to this because I, for me, I always felt if I had a plan B, I would use it. And so I just decided that this was all I could, this was the only choice for me. And I, I, and I, I am a little stunted from that. Cause you know, like here I am now and 
I am kind of relearning how to do very basic things that most of my like friends might like know how the, to do. What's the basic shit? Like, like cook a meal for yourself, clean, uh, decorate a room, you know, pick out furniture, just these like super basic things that pe- most people just like like to do and know how to do. Where I'm like, I don't, <laughs> where I, I don't know, I can't. So yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I get it. I mean, because I think, but I think with us. You know, because I gave up when I used to when I was in college, all my 20s, basically, I I was I had, I was a private party DJ and I gave up every Friday and every Saturday night for like seven years. And then you move out to Los Angeles and then you become a comic. And like you said, it's like you give up everything so you can mm-hmm. be at this shitty coffee shop in North Hollywood with a bunch of people. Yep that you love and then the other half are people that you know you you wouldn't like ever want to be around and yet you you don't want to be hanging out with anybody else but besides those two different groups of people that are at that open mic it's just like we love it like we have to do it it's it's because i think it's like deferred payment because we work hard for the beginning of our lives and like really you know the first you know 40 50 years so from 50 to to you know 100 if we're lucky get to be enjoyable and i think it's worth totally. it totally you will you mentioned the north hollywood coffee shop which i'm picturing one right now if you i can't remember the name i want to say like brad's or something like that but like i'm picturing on a friday night being at that coffee shop in north hollywood signing up and waiting for my turn at the open mic and i'm like Oh my God, if I had to do that right now, like I, there's no way I would go. And it's like in that moment, in those years where I had to show up and do that, I could not have had another choice. And if I had another choice, I would have taken it. Like, of course I didn't want to go to do that. But like at the time it was all I knew. And so I did it. Yeah. And I mean, look what it's done for you. I mean, you're, you're doing fantastic. We're both doing fantastic. And it's like, I'm so glad that that I didn't quit. I'm so glad that I went to those mm-hmm. fucking open mics and I and I hung out at the comedy store till three, four in the morning every night so yes. I could feel part of it. It's all worth it. And so now we don't have to do that shit. And I think that's dope. That you get to you get to right now during this pandemic, like we don't really have to we have we worry like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But at the same time I can just be like everything's gonna be fine because I'm fine right now and because of all that work I did years before I couldn't imagine being a younger comic you know during the pandemic like if can you imagine being like in the first couple years of stand up and this happening oh you know that does sound very rough <laughs> but I'm sure those people in that position will figure, it, figure out, it out but that definitely yeah they will they will Esther this was fantastic darling um I'm so glad you got to come Same. on um thank you so much for having me my pleasure The one and only Esther Pravitsky, ladies and gentlemen. Follow her on Twitter, at Little Esther. And if you want to find her on Instagram, it's at Esther Monster. Listen to her podcast, Esther Club, on all platforms, but listen to it on Spotify. And set a calendar date for June 5th, because Esther's new stand-up special is coming out on Comedy Central. Don't forget to subscribe to The 500 on Spotify. Do it now. Do it now. Now. We just listened to Diana Ross and the Supremes from the 1960s. This week, music director Matt Pinfield chose Nia. Nia 
Bertino is an American singer, pianist, and songwriter influenced by Mariah Carey, Nina Simone, and Ella Fitzgerald. Her new album, La Bella Vita, came out in February, and you can hear her music and her new single, Whatever You Got, streaming now on Spotify. And check out the link on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you were in a band, send your music to The 500, guys. We want to play it if it was influenced by one of these albums or artists. Send it to our email, 500podcast at gmail.com. Put the artist and the album that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, it's Ronettes Week as we dive into their album presenting the fabulous Ronettes featuring Veronica, released in 1963. Yeah, that's right, guys. This starts the beginning of three episodes in a row all about the girl groups of the 60s. It's dope. Y'all got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Doogle doogle. Oh yeah, stay fleecy. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Next Chapter Podcasts.